What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. David, what's on your mind today? Well, um, I know this is, I know you know about this. I, the news came across the wire yesterday that, that Matthew Berry, a fantasy football expert, is leaving ESPN. Um, I don't believe he's announced where he's going yet, and I believe we'll probably have more to talk about in terms of what this means later in the show. But as I was prepping for that segment, it occurred to me that I didn't know what Matthew Berry did at ESPN anymore. Like, I know that he hosts fantasy football podcasts, the TV stuff, whatever, but I don't know. As I was like, was he like an editor of record? Did he have some higher standing there, like on, on, on the docket? And so I Googled it to try to find the answer. And that led me to another wonderful edition of Adventures in Google Questions. <laughs> oh, I love this segment so much. All right. So... Um, if you search for what does Matthew Berry do, it doesn't get much. It doesn't get you anywhere, but it does lead you to some interesting uh, other questions, such as um, how much money does Matthew Berry make? Not a lot of solid answers there. I'm guessing the answer to that will be changing presently anyway. Um, what is Matthew Berry's real name? Kind of an odd <laughs> one there. It turns out the answer is Matthew Berry. Um, how old is Matthew Berry? Okay, it's a little bit more like in line with something someone asked. Where did Matthew Berry go to college? Uh, it gets a little bit sticky in here because uh, there's an actor named Matt Berry who plays Laszlo on What We Do in the Shadows. And so there's, you know, there's some people who are searching for him and Matt, Matthew Berry and it all gets kind of tangled up. But I'm pretty sure most of the following are related to the original Matthew Berry question and not not getting too much in the What We Do in the Shadows weeds. Um, how do I contact Matthew Berry? Some pretty standard stuff. Then it gets into some nice tangents. Uh what is Field Yates's real name? <laughs> uh, also, Field Yates. How tall is Dan Orlovsky? Uh, okay, that is publicly did, available information since Dan played in the NFL. Where did Savadia Bell go to college? Um, mm -hmm. Probably related. Who is the lady on fantasy football? Um, uh, also, probably related. Who is the girl on ESPN? The answer, according to Google questions, is Mina Kimes. Uh, do girls play football? We're going to keep going down this path. Uh, th there's, a, there's a little bit more. Um, this is a little bit more appropriate for the podcast. How much do ESPN reporters make? Um, Wonder that myself sometimes. Yeah. Good question. Uh, according to Google, $85,000 annually. I don't think that's, a, uh, that, that's the mean. Mm. Might, um, back to the matter at hand. Uh, how did Matthew Berry get famous? That's a good question. Uh, there's actually a pretty substantive answer there. You can Google it yourself. Uh, who invented fantasy football? Is fantasy football legal? Can I sue someone for fantasy football winnings? <laughs> Do I have to report fantasy football winnings? Uh, is fantasy football gambling for tax purposes? Uh, more or less, yes, is the answer. Will DraftKings send me a 1099? The answer, I believe, is yes. If you make more than $600 in a calendar year, uh, does gambling winnings affect social security? And then at this point in the search, you kind of realize why Matthew Berry might have wanted out of this, uh, this, this, this hamster wheel. So I just stopped searching there. 
<laughs> I like the older fan checking in. Will, will this affect <laughs> exactly. my social security? Yeah. A lot of good questions there. The origin story, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. The kind of sweaty tax questions make sense. I wonder if the people who are asking if the, about the legality of it are like players who are suddenly overcome by, you know, a conscience, a guilty conscience, or if it's like their moms who who are trying to figure out if their kids are going to jail. You could imagine like your mom or my mom or Matthew Barry's mom getting online just being like, is my son in an illegal trade? You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot, a lot of good questions there. What do we think the average age is of the person who typed in, what is the name of the lady on the fantasy football show using that particular language? Oh man, probably, uh, uh, you know, probably first time, long time in terms of Google, you know, this is probably people have been around for a while and haven't typed a lot of questions into the Google box. Coming up on today's podcast, what is happening to college football? A lament from two Texans who know something about it. We introduce the tad friend rule of movie journalism. You're going to love this one, David, the worst lead ever. And as mentioned, a fantasy guru is leaving ESPN. All that and more on the press box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, producer Erica Cervantes here. David, we can tack a media angle or two onto this, but mostly I just want to talk to you about what the hell is happening to college football. Mm hmm. Our pal Kevin Clark has a very good column up on the ringer.com today about this. He writes, college football, I believe, is not built on TV markets and cable sub fees. It is built on crisp, perfect fall days and pure spite. Now, fact check here from two or actually three Texans who watched college football games in that state in August, September, and even October. Not sure I would use the word crisp. No. More like stiflingly hot. I got but, some of the best sunburn of my life sitting in the stands of football games. Maybe it was that way in Miami. But Kevin's right. Pure spite is what this is about. And the changes that have started happening in college football late last month and last summer and even before that put all of this at risk. You know the big news, David. We are now going to two super conferences Mm -hmm. because USC and UCLA last month left the PAC 12 to go to the big 10. This follows my alma mater, Texas and Oklahoma leaving the big 12, the embattled big 12, you might say to go to the sec where they will play their natural rivals like South Carolina and Mississippi state (laughs) schools. I've spent absolutely no time thinking about. Um, what is your take on all this before we get too deeply into the media weeds here? Wow. Um, it has a ring of inevitability to it, right? And I think that there's a degree to which uh, college sports are not followed. At least the, 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 the backroom aspect of college sports is the business of college sports is weirdly underreported in the mainstream, right? The degree to which we understand the NFL salary cap and not the inner workings of the NCAA is, is a pretty big, pretty big gap between the two, you know? And, and, um, 
So I think that with a lot of the people who know, who follow what's going on closely, it just sort of seems like there's a little bit of a shoulder shrug. Like this is a story that you could have halfway reported or halfway theorized years ago. Um, and so in a lot of ways, the mainstream, the more casual audience isn't getting the full service of like how just like, wow, how like nuts this is, right? Because it really is a huge deal coming from, I mean, we're old, we're getting old, but this would have been, despite the fact that I said you could have seen this coming five years ago, this would have been like unthinkable when we were in college. And yes. it's, uh, and you know, but the way that, I mean, I think the NCAA sort of made its bed in a lot of ways, um, but just the general way that sports have become such big business, you know, such a, uh, such commerce in America and the world, I, I think that, that to have imagined that college sports would have been sheltered or, or, or cordoned off from that, it would have, is naive. And, and in some ways, um, it, this is a sort of the, probably the most, the most straightforward means of getting to a more uh, market centric version of college football, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I say this as a university of Texas alum for most of my life, the University of Texas has been trying to destabilize college football. Mm -hmm. Back when we were in high school, they left the Southwest Conference, along mm -hmm. with Baylor, Texas A&M, and Texas Tech, and joined and formed the Big 12. And then about as soon as Texas got to the Big 12, they started trying to leave the Big 12, eventually getting the Longhorn Network and making the conference into this weird mess, and then other teams left the Big 12. Now Texas and Oklahoma are leaving behind Baylor, Texas Tech, and others, and going to the SEC, despite not exactly being part of the American South. So this is a long road from 1994 to 2022. Again, I say this as a Texas alum and a Texas fan. We did a lot of this. This, 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 this was this, and I only use the word we when I'm taking blame. This, this is this is on Texas. They've been trying to do this. You're exactly right. This is the logical endpoint or near endpoint. Who knows what's going to happen next of teams trying to cut ties with historical rivals and get a better deal. Texas almost went to the Pac-12 a couple of years back to play USC, which is weirdly now part of a collection of schools in the Rust Belt. Think about that for a second. Well, you make a lot of good points there. I think that the audience for this podcast might have stuck on one thing that you said that I think we should just take a quick sidebar to delve into. Because I agree with you. Texas is not traditionally part of the American South. <laughs> but <laughs> there are many people, particularly those who come from above the, the uh, well, let's just say north of the Mason-Dixon line, um, who would disagree with that, at least without having thought about it too much. You're absolutely right, so let me clarify. If you go to a Texas message board, or if you had gone to one before this most recent announcement last summer, you would have seen Texas fans insisting that they are not part of the SEC. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The way football uh, is administered there. They're not uh, yet. Maybe a lot of academic standard uh, boasting about we're not one of those schools. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe the more exact way to say it than the Americans. No, but I, no, but I do think it's true. I mean, I think that you can sort of, you know, there's a, there are definitely some 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 borderline southern states 
you know, states that are literally kind of on the border that are sort of semi-Southern and semi-not. You know, I'm looking at you, Missouri. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, on the East Coast, it gets a whole lot messier, too, because you got Washington, D.C., and they're sort of being Northern right in the middle of a lot of South Southerniness, but whatever. Um, And a lot of states are sort of different pieces of a whole. Texas is sort of its own thing. Nominally part of the Southwest as well, but but more than anything, Texas and its size warrants a distinction. Is Texas is Texas? Uh, Texas is, you know, this is even before a country was divided along party lines and and everybody was constantly at odds. I knew very, I know a lot of very like cool headed liberal folks in Texas who would tell you that if Texas tried to secede, they'd fight on the side of Texas in a heartbeat, right? I mean, it's just the Texas is its own thing. Um, Well, if I can blow your mind here, when we were in high school, there was a football conference, a fairly major football conference that just consisted of Texas teams. Yeah. And that's the way a lot of people think it should have stayed. Seems seems like that might have been desirable for a lot of people. Oh, wait, never mind. We're going to go join a bunch of teams in the Midwest. But considering where we are now and where Texas is now, and now we're all sort of part of this bigger culture, the SEC makes some sense for Texas. If it makes sense to an outsider, it should make enough sense for the school. I just don't, I think if it's, I mean, if you have two, I mean, listen, we're going in two, we're going to one or two options here, right? And, and at some point, just like Texas has tried to cut ties every time they've been somewhere, is it, I mean, what's going to be their motivator? The amount of money they make, right? The Longhorn Network profits or whatever, however they decide to, however they decide to, to, to cash in the most, right? And that's how I think that's, that's going to be the motivator for most of the schools involved. I think that's why what's happened with college football and specifically with Texas makes me feel so empty because mm-hmm. it's for money that's going to the athletic department. So people who are Longhorn fans say, well, our school is one of the winners here. And I'm like, what did Texas win? Did Texas win any football games over the last 10 years? Not many. Mm-hmm. Did Texas qualify for the SEC, one of the soon-to-be two super conferences, because they were just so good at football for the last decade? Nope. Mm-mm. They qualified because they're a really big school that's the flagship university of the state of Texas, one of the biggest states in the country. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you mean we didn't make it on merit? Yeah. You could say past merit. But we didn't make it on recent merit at all. USC's, by the way, exactly the same thing. They haven't done anything since Pete Carroll went to the Seahawks. But they get to go to the Super Conference because they're a big brand and they're in a big market. God, I hate that word. And that's why they qualify. So that's what's so funny about this. I mean, this reminds me of all the times that Texas was losing so many games and I went on the message board and people are crowing about the revenue national championship. <laughs> I didn't get any of that money. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not going to remember where I was with my pals, Adrian, Alicia, all my college pals hugging and, and slapping high fives when we won the revenue national championship. Meanwhile, <laughs> we won seven games or five games or whatever it was that year. <laughs> Who cares? So... I understand. And again, people will say, well, you've got to go to the super conference because the TV money has gotten so out of whack and you need the more TV money because then you'll be able to compete. Then you'll be able to recruit better, build those amazing facilities to get recruits. I get all that. 
But let me just say that at this stage, winning doesn't winning winning feels incredibly empty. Winning feels like we won because of some, you know, structural advantage over Texas Tech or your alma mater Baylor, not because we actually won football games, which is the fun kind of winning. Well, you mean you won by being in this position, right? They won by being the University of Texas. Right, by, by getting by getting the offer. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's not so dissimilar from where like Baylor was when the Big 12 started, although probably more morally defensible. A little bit of a novelty for Baylor to be in the morally defensible position. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's they, you know, there were a lot of teams when you build the Big 12, there are a lot of teams like that that kind of had their app sort of paying their way in, right? You kind of, you needed the money and the, 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 the someone to stomp for homecoming. You know, that's how, that's kind of how we felt. But you're right. I mean, Texas is going to bring in the revenue to the SEC. They're going to be a part of the thing. And presumably, I mean, I think the hope would be obviously that it, that it helps you recruit. It helps you revitalize the football program, all that kind of stuff. I just think, but I agree with your, with your broader point about how sort of empty it all feels. I mean, you know, the rivalries rivalries come and go depend i mean or at least historically depending on the ebbs and flows of of the power of a team although there's been a kind lot of, of continuity over the kind of but in college football the thing is they kind of hang around for a long time sure i mean i know i mean i i'm i'm all i'm all for rivalries but i think that you'll find you know people who are interested in it will find new ones right well and you'll still see oklahoma but see this is the thing i i just think when i got to the university of texas 1996, I, first of all, we should be honest. I went to the University of Texas for a lot of reasons, but probably the biggest was the football team. Yeah. I remember there was an orientation early on before we got there and you could pick, do you want to tour the journalism and communications department or the sciences or liberal arts? And I was like, no, no, I want to go on the stadium and athletic facilities tour. <laughs> I would like a preview of where my seat will potentially be in the stadium. <laughs> when I'm here on Saturdays. And that's not a joke. I remember I remember just thinking about college and looking. It's like, oh, Texas has a home game with Notre Dame in 1996. Sounds great. Yeah. Sounds good. And by the way, absolutely no regrets about that decision, even on those ridiculous grounds. So I see people that went to the Ivy League. I don't feel any jealousy. I feel sorry for them. Oh, wait, you didn't you didn't have Saturdays. You didn't have all your Saturdays in the fall planned out like that. You'd have this awesome thing that would happen once a week and two thirds of the time it would be on your campus. Mm -hmm. I did. And it was great. It was as fun and, and as amazing as anything I did in four years of college. And to the point about rivalries, I just felt like I remember seeing quote unquote old people at football games who are now like as old as you and I are. Mm -hmm. And I would look at them and I'd be like, it's funny because you were here in like 1983 or you were here in 1977. Uh-huh. And your four years, you got to see Earl Campbell win a Heisman Trophy. Or you got to see something terrible happen to Texas football and a coach mm -hmm. get fired. My four years, I got to see Ricky Williams win a Heisman Trophy. It was a great ahead of me. I got to see Mac Brown get hired and revitalize the program. Like I got my special four years, but what has connected us is like 
you felt the same way about Texas Tech fans as I do. Yeah, you felt the true. same way about Baylor fans as I do. Even with the conference change, you, you had this particular feeling about TCU. And people always co- focus on the big rivals, right? Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Arkansas back in the day. Okay, but you had feelings about everybody mm-hmm. in that old Southwest Conference. And then later, after a time, I think everybody in the Big 12 Kansas State, I have a very particular feeling about Kansas State that's different from the feeling I have about Oklahoma State. So now what you're telling me is we're just going to switch that out for Ole Miss, and we're going to switch that out for LSU. Now, some of those games will actually be much bigger than going to Stillwater every two years, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't replace it, and I don't think you can just replace it willy-nilly, and it will be the same. At least it won't be the same to me. Yeah, it's true. Um, I mean, they could just have a, you know, just just make up a fake Red Rebel rival or whatever. Just 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 call it, just make it like the Brazos Bowl or something and everybody show up and wear like old timey <laughs> costumes. Uh, <laughs> the Brazos Bowl was Baylor, by the way. So we, I know. We, I'm just trying to think of a river schedule. in Texas. Um, but yeah, it was. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Nothing's ever going to replace it. Um, and it's just and, it's like regional, right? It's very particular. Well, and you talked about you talked about the, the Ivy League students who you, you know, you feel sorry for. Have we ever told the story about the <laughs> the Duke kids at the sports bar on this podcast before? No, you. Let's there was do a period that. early in our days in New York. Baylor was not. I was not trying to carry my Baylor fandom on with me. They were really bad. It was not a you know wasn't wearing Baylor t shirts around. Not really my thing. Um, they eventually got good. I had to. Feel reconcile my feelings. That's a whole different story. But I, Brian would of course go to this, this you know whatever sports bar was like the hosting the Texas game in New York City every Saturday. Uh, there are usually several bars, but you know we pick the one and, and they would do it up. They do this all over sports bars in New York. I mean, obviously they have like the there's all the NFL teams. There's Giants and Jets bars, but you can also very easily find a Pittsburgh Steelers bar or a Dallas Cowboys bar or whatever, and just be around your like minded fans. So there'd be bars that just had the Texas game on specifically from this block. They had drink specials for the Texans. They played the Texas fight song over the intercom at mm-hmm. every, every time they scored a touchdown so that the, everybody could stand up and do the longhorn symbol and like chant along with the, I mean, every school in Texas has these silly, in the South, has these silly touchdown ritual chant type things. Um, Duke, not exactly the same kind of South. So the next, the, because of the way the football is scheduled, obviously after the Texas game, they have to reserve, I mean, there's a different game that's being featured in that bar. And this week it was a Duke football game. Duke fans, not a very good football program, not a very notable football program, but I'm sure a lot of, you know, very good hearted people who are looking for an excuse to get together and, and have a good time on a Saturday afternoon. But the Texas game is running long. So the Duke kids are all, cr- I mean, it's like a hundred people crammed in the entryway of this sports barge waiting for the tables to empty out so they can go take their seats. And they're all just sitting there talking, having a good time, trying to, trying to, you know, d- do the best they can to pass the time. And in the closing seconds of the game, Texas scored a touchdown. Like you know, they, were, they were already way ahead, but they scored a touchdown. The fight song starts blaring over the the speaker, the, the 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 PA system. Everybody in the in the bar stands up with the long horns up and starts chanting. And I looked over at the Duke group, and you would have thought that everybody in the bar was like hailing Satan. Like it, like they were so, <laughs> they were so shocked and like viscerally uncomfortable with this celebration. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, it was so good. It was worth every Texas game I sat through just to see those poor kids witness witness the excitement of football at its finest. And don't you think that celebration was 20% louder because we could see the Duke guys <laughs> sitting over there? Yeah. All right, everybody, for real this time. Let's show those guys what a real football program does. Yeah, oh my yeah. Gosh. It was always a little awkward for me to know if I should stand up and join in. It's like, do I take communion when I go to a Catholic church or something? You know, just not, is it is it easier just to just go with the flow, <laughs> even if that's the wrong answer? You know, it's it's very very weird. I want to turn this around to you because you and I have been united by conference since again since 1996, since our freshman year of college, mm-hmm. and Baylor has been better for the most part than Texas has at football over the last decade. Baylor won a national championship in basketball. Mm -hmm. And yet for the aforementioned reasons, Baylor does not currently have the invitation to one of the two super conferences. How do you feel about that? Well, I feel like there's, I have a hard time getting too worked up about it one way or the other. Um, I mean, Baylor is a school that is like grown by leaps and bounds the time I was there and their programs budgets have grown by leaps and bounds as well. Not without a lot of controversy attending it. And, and, um, you know, you get to see the, you get to see the, the argument play out in real time about whether or not like all this added profit really benefits the, it has a trickle down effect on the rest of the university, but setting that aside, um, I don't know. I mean, you tell me. I, I, my my assumption is going to be that there'll probably be a few more invitations to the SEC. And Baylor always finds its way to wiggle into a situation like that. You know, if, if it really is going to be two conferences, there are going to be some some land grabs, almost literally, I guess. Um, but then I assume that if there's really two power conferences, and there has to be some there has to be some mechanism for every other school to have a way into a, the conversation, right? Be is there? I mean, will there be the field with the, with the best team from the rest of the college world get an opportunity to 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 play against the, the you know the schools in the mega conferences i don't know i mean i guess they wouldn't have to and it probably wouldn't be in the sec or the you know big 10's benefit to let any i mean the, the probably the best move the, i mean the smart thing for them to do would be to starve out starve out the rest of the country right just to pretend that a Baylor team, even if it was better, the best team in the country didn't exist. But uh, but I don't know. History hasn't really worked out well for people who did that. Well, that's the part of this that's really unclear and sort of brings us to the TV part because we know the college football playoff is going to expand. It's currently at four teams and it's going to go way up. Could go to eight, could go to 12. We'd, it's unclear where it would go. Now, I guess in one scenario, somewhere down the line, you have two super conferences who feel they are so super that they feel they are all of college football. The champion of our domain is the champion of everybody, mm-hmm. which by the way, is kind of like old college football used to be right. You win the sec, you win the Southwest conference, you go win the cotton bowl and you plant your flag and say, we did it. Yeah. National champs, <laughs> national champs or, or just conference champs. Or just and champs. Yeah. Yeah. And we're satisfied with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably a more likely scenario is there's a big playoff and the SEC and the Big Ten, under this scenario, just reserve a bunch of seats at the table, a bunch of slots in that playoff for them. Well, like, like, I mean, like, like they actually 
have negotiate will negotiate that like 10 of the 12 seats will be theirs well that's probably maybe not that many but that this is where we are right where the power is well if we have if we're the schools that have all the best a lot of the best teams in college football how do we use that power do we use it to just say okay we'll participate in the new playoff but the price of our participation is we get x number of slots or whatever it is that all remains to be determined but I know Kevin Clark wrote about this today. A lot of people have written really smart pieces about it. But let me play Dodo here for a second. Why do they? Why do these two conferences need the NCAA? Well, they don't. Like if they just each had a champion, and those two champions, then they could just those two champions could pl- could play each other on January first, and yeah. they could just take all the money. They they don't need the NCAA. And to your question earlier of like why don't we know more about the inner workings of how the NCAA has tried to administer college football over the last several decades. One answer is, well, they, they haven't and they Mm -hmm. didn't administer anything or administer anything effectively enough. And that's part of what got us here is you didn't have a governing body. And as Kevin points out in his piece, I think, well, you certainly didn't have a governing body of people that love college football or love college sports and are thinking of it from that perspective. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you also have to, under, we also have to understand that there's probably a lot of money to be made for a big, big playoff that includes lots of teams, not just a handful of teams. So the sec, the big 10 and the other conferences will want to sign up on that too. I also find there's like an interesting subplot here. I was listening to Paul Feinbaum a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about, well, the big 10 expanding is being driven. Everybody thinks by Fox. So mm-hmm. if we think of college football used to be big and diverse enough that every network would basically have a little slice of it. NBC has Notre Dame and CBS has the SEC game of the week and on and on. But if you're ESPN and you're about to inherit the whole SEC, well, you're really happy to have Texas and Oklahoma come because the thing you're inheriting is about to become even better. Mm-hmm. Fox, which has the uh, slice of the big 10 rights, same reason. Okay. If we supersize the Big Ten, then we're in on something. And then as Feinbaum said on his radio show, which I thought was interesting, this is now Fox's attempt to get into the playoff. Right now, ESPN shows all three games of the college football playoff. Well, Mm -hmm. if it's a bigger playoff, what if it becomes like the NFL, where it's multiple networks showing different parts of the playoff? Hmm. So that's a whole separate chessboard, too. That if there's a bigger playoff... Is it more networks in there? Is it just ESPN as it currently is? ESPN obviously wants to control as much of this as they can. Does a network like CBS, which is losing the SEC game of the week here in a couple of years, want in? You know, is there are they going to be able to find a way in? Is it going to be the Big Ten game of the week? Are they going to buy a slice of the Big Ten rights and put Ohio State versus Indiana on in the afternoon? Mm-hmm. Well, and then if the if we do have these two superpowers. Right, we have these. these I mean, and, and I'm counting the, the 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 conferences and the networks backing them uh, in this equation. How long is it going to be before Texas or you know or Notre? You know, there before there's another Notre Dame. How at some point it's there's going to be some somebody else in the mix, right? At some point, CBS or someone's going to come calling and just be like, "Well, we'll just let's who who's the who's the top team in the country? What if we just paid Alabama a trillion dollars to jump ship?" I and got then, an idea, and then you guys figure the rest out. 
the Longhorn Network. We'll <laughs> devote a cable channel to one school and it'll be so good. And our programming will be so scintillating that it will justify the establishment of this network. Now, I don't know. I mean, that it's a big, I don't know. By the way, you'd made a point earlier about change is inevitable in some way. There was a lot of college football back in the old days. And by the old days, I mean like a couple of years ago, that was really crappy. To use a wrestling <clears throat> reference, and I know sometimes the folks at Reddit get mad at us for using too many <laughs> wrestling references on here, but college football, especially early in the season, was kind of like the old WWF superstars where it was all squash matches. Mm -hmm. Alabama versus directional school. Ohio State versus directional school. Texas versus directional school. And you had weeks where it was really tough to find more than a couple of good games mm -hmm. it's gotten better in recent years but again what these conferences are promising whether that's actually real or not everybody always takes the worst example hey ucla is going to be playing rutgers that sounds really random okay but also usc is going to be playing ohio state mm -hmm. so part of the promises here is if we have super conferences with lots and lots of good teams in it we're going to be able to deliver lots and lots of good matchups not just one week, but every week, mm -hmm. or at least interesting matchups. And that is, look, more good college football games is something that every single college football fan forever has wanted. I like, I was fine with the old system, but, you know, sitting there again in a very non crisp Texas day watching Texas, you know, toy with a directional Louisiana school and it's 45 to 10. Eh. That, that had its limits. That was, you know, and then, of course, Texas almost lose to the directional Louisiana school, which would make it even worse. All right, David, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. This week, David, we considered tweets about Aaron Rodgers' new tattoo. Okay, so now <laughs> he's okay with needles. But this week's runaway winner, which was submitted to this podcast by just about everyone, was about Elon Musk. Musk, <laughs> who is the father of a previously unknown set of twins born last year, is now saying that he's trying to get out of buying Twitter. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write Elon Musk pulls out for the first time ever. <laughs> Saw it a lot. If you think we're going to ask for a taste check about that one, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. By the way, really uh, amused to see a New York Times article <laughs> channeling your Google questions called, How Many Children Does Elon Musk Have? <laughs> we need a new game. Google questions or New York Times headline. Uh, David, in the notebook dump, I would like to introduce a new rule of journalism for you. This isn't a solid rule of journalism, but it's more of a guide. Okay. I thought of this when I saw a profile recently in the New York Times for about Taika Watiti. Did you happen to see this profile? Oh, yeah. But what was it? What was it? What's the rule? Well, let me explain. Taika Watiti profile ahead, of course, of his new movie, Thor, Love and Thunder. So it comes out, it's written by Dave Itzkoff. 
I really enjoyed the profile. I'm like, hey, uh, look at this. Director, mm-hmm. cool director, good piece. Really enjoyed it. Then I start to see the reviews for Love and Thunder trickle in. Yeah. And let's just say they were a little underwhelming, especially mm-hmm. by the standards of Taika Waititi, who is a very loved director and who Thor Ragnarok was one of everybody's favorite or at least funniest Marvel movies. So I think we need a new rule, which is called the Tad Friend Rule of Celebrity Profiles. <laughs> okay. And the rule goes like this. If you see a particularly good celebrity profile ahead of a big movie or television show, there's mm-hmm. a chance that the television show or movie is going to suck. <laughs> You think the access is given because to, to compensate for what is certainly going to be a poorly reviewed film? Well, that's what's interesting. I think, yes, that if there's a weaker film, that the studio is probably more interested in putting their people out there. I say this as a person who wrote a profile of George Lucas ahead of Red Tails. <laughs> so I, I think that's uh, out there. Um, there's probably also a law of averages thing happening here where it's like Taika Waititi has made two or three really good movies in a row. He was in the Mandalorian. And then Mm -hmm. at some point it's, which is what gets everybody excited about him. Hey, we like this guy. This is, this is good. Good director. Somebody I'm excited to see. And then it's just law of averages that they're going to make a bad movie or just yeah no it's a, it's definitely like an editorial board law of averages effect too where there's a, I mean, a lot of times that that people the subjects like that don't reach a sort of critical mass of like we're, we should definitely write about them until just like a second too late you know mm-hmm. someone would come we'd have that conversation in ringer meetings be like what do i write about this this person and they'd be like well, you know what if we if we'd said that six months ago the answer would have been really smart and yes and now <laughs> feels a little bit overdone you know yeah but, and the timing might just be wrong mm-hmm. and again if it's going to be on the occasion of their lousy movie or so-so movie let's get that out a couple of weeks before the lousy or so-so movie comes out so that we can have kind of two different content streams here hey taika watiti love him great quotes second content moment Ooh, movie not so good movie not as good as we wanted it to be now you might ask david why did i call this the tad friend rule of celebrity profiles well i was gonna ask yeah tad friend longtime new yorker staff writer Absolutely one of my favorite journalists on the planet. When I grow up, I want to write a sentence a sentence as good as a Tad Friend sentence. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. So, so amazing, so smart, so funny, such a good writer. But a couple of years ago, I noticed that often he would have a celebrity profile, and I'd read it and drink it up, and then realize that the movie that the profile was pegged to would turn out to be a dud. <laughs> Let me give you a few examples. Ben Stiller. You might remember he wrote a really good profile about Ben Stiller. Peg to the secret life of Walter Mitty. Steve Carell. Very memorable profile. Peg to dinner for schmucks. (laughs) Anna Ferris for what's your number? We could keep going. Director Andrew Stanton for John Carter. Director Harold Ramis for the ice harvest. Director Darren Aronofsky for Noah. She's got decent (laughs) reviews. Again. Oh, my God. Now, when I say pushed out because they know the movie's a dud or all that stuff, I have no idea. I have no idea what went on in, in how these PR things get done. Dave Itzkoff and Ted Frank get to profile lots and lots of famous people. So I don't, know if, I don't know if there's any direct connection. I'm just saying 
you see a particularly rich and rewarding celebrity profile. Yeah. Keep your guard up. Keep your guard up. Enjoy it. Because in a week or two or a month or two, if it's a New Yorker, you might see so you might see a movie that mm. Mm, isn't what you want it to be. Well, I'm glad it's that and not the Tadfrin curse. Like that that could have that would have been that would have been the <laughs> other way to go about this. Cause said it's not a hard and fast rule. Probably some exceptions. I think even Ted Friend has some exceptions. I'm just saying. Um, you set up Matthew Berry leaving ESPN, David. Mm-hmm. What do we think about ESPN losing its fantasy guru and more broadly what Matthew Berry has done with that role at the worldwide leader? Um, well, talk about inevitability. It's a little bit surprising he's still there. I mean, on the one hand, there is no greater authority um, because of his history, also because of his role at ESPN on the subject of fantasy sports. Um, we're in a world that has now like an infinite supply of, of fantasy sports talking heads, right? So in some sense, he's very replaceable, but it's exactly because there's so many of them that he has a significant role, right? Because there's so much assembly line talent that somebody with like a little bit of name recognition and backstory and actual credit, you know, credibility in the field, for someone like him, that goes a really long way. He's been doing it for a long time. He's been the face of ESPN fantasy sports forever. I mean, forever. Um, but at the same time, we've seen the moves that ESPN has made over the years. And you would probably be surprised. You probably would never, you wouldn't have been surprised if at any point over the past decade or past, certainly the past five years, if they had let him walk just to replace him with, you know, replacement level talent. And, uh, uh, balance that against the fact that I don't know what he's going to do. I know he's done some, according to Google, done some writing and producing on the side. Um, <laughs> but certainly you wouldn't be shocked to find out that he was, you know, cashing a big check to go to work for a startup, a DraftKings sort of place or whatever, an online casino. I mean, none of the, nothing would shock you, right? That's um, why I was a little surprised when I and, saw Andrew Marchand saying NBC was an early option. Oh, well. Because I really was thinking, finally, we've gotten the casino hiring the guy that you and I have been talking about with the various yeah. insiders at ESPN. Yeah, it just seems like, I think, it. I mean, that's interesting. It could be NBC. I just think it's basically, regardless of whether or not he would ever, he was going to go work for DraftKings, certainly there's been a job offer along the way, and you balance that sort of offer against what ESPN, you presume, you know, presumed ESPN cost cutting and you just would have assumed there would have that this this breakup was inevitable and it's kind of surprising it, it held together this long and maybe that would be the reason why it is surprising right because they lasted this long in a relationship you know and they should keep going and fantasy is clearly something you know still a big deal for ESPN maybe that's changed a little bit as ESPN has become more mm -hmm. of a streaming company than a cable company and dot-com company I do want to ask you this use the word authority to talk about Matthew Berry how much of his success, do you think, is his authority? Like, I am really good or, you know, seem really good at telling you how to pick your fantasy football team? And how much of it is him inhabiting the character <laughs> of the guy telling you how to put, assemble your fantasy football team? Being good at 
television and podcasting and being like, this is the kind of person who's not just, again, assembly line name on a screen when, who you should draft, but just actually being like an entertaining presence. Um, well, I think it's probably more the latter from a practical point of view, but that said, I think with fantasy sports, you have to be a lot more right than you do even to be, if you were like one of the old gambling guys, maybe, you know, the, the gambling market is obviously shifting a lot right at this very moment, but like, you know, people joke about how nobody kept track of like the picks on the NFL pregame shows or whatever, you know, and, 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 uh, or ESPN, um, People really care a lot about the about their fantasy teams, and they're and and you better believe that if Matthew Barry says you know trade this get rid of this guy, and they do, and he goes on to you know rush for five hundred yards in the next game, they're going to remember that and hold that against Matthew Barry, you know, probably forever, you know. <laughs> um, and so I think that the 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 margin for error is lower than just about anywhere else. I mean, you do have to take being right very seriously, but. It is the authority thing, and he is incredibly entertaining. I mean, in some ways, he sort of like defined the style of of how span- fantasy sports is ta- is is broadcast, is podcasted, is 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 talked. You know, and and that's and just between regular human beings, the way it's talked, and and is that that kind of authority is is hard to uh, it's hard to describe. Yeah, I guess that's another way of asking the question: not just how much of his stature is built on one versus the other but what did he change more than the other one see we're going to look back and say well he changed the way we pick fantasy football teams or are we going to say he changed he went as far as you could possibly go with this character you know with this with this role and turn this in from somebody who's hey there's a person who's part of a giant sports website to there's a person who's a legitimate podcast star occasional tv star big star in the world of a media company through the world of fantasy yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really good question. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, this, listen, this is, you have the network, you have the star, you have, you know, there's infinite number of examples in the in history of things like this. It'll be very interesting to see, uh, how significant his influence is at his next stop, because, you know, who made who is going to be, is, is going to be the undercurrent of every discussion we have about him and going forward. Before we go, I would like to read you a bad lead. Oh, please. Uh, This came to me from the Twitter account of writer Jonathan Katz. This was a New York Times A1 story, an analysis story, also known as a thumb sucker, or used to be known as a thumb sucker in newspaper world. I'm going to read you this lead, David. I want you to uh, react appropriately. Mm -hmm. This is about the end of Roe v. Wade and abortion rights in America. Quoting, Pressed by Supreme Court decisions diminishing rights that liberals hold dear and expanding those cherished by conservatives, the United States appears to be drifting apart into separate nations with diametrically opposed social, environmental, and health policies. Call these the disunited states. It sounds like a really difficult to comprehend version of like the twilight zone introduction or something whoa uh pressed by supreme i'm reading it now because hearing you say it i was like sir maybe it makes more sense in print it does not make more sense in print the disunited states see we live in the united states but now well and it was determined that it was really important that we get to the disunited states 
coinage, not quickly, but with only one sent in only one sentence, right? Because <laughs> that thing that came before it is a one sentence monstrosity. Boom! The disunited states. All right, it's time for David Shoemaker guesses the strained pun headline. Yeah. Tuesday's headline about the Minnesota Timberwolves big bet was "Go Bear or Go Home." Today's headline comes from Steve Holzapfel, intermodal motorist, and KM McFarland. All of them valued listeners. It's from Forbes. It's one of those bad Thor reviews I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And David, that's all you're going to get. What was um, Forbes's strain pun headline? That's all I'm going to get. It's like uh, obviously God of, Thor is part God of, of this. Blunder. Uh, a Thor. Um, <laughs> Let's let's punt on Thor. Thor, uh, Thor loser, dude. Is that it? Thor loser. My gosh! See, people think David sees these beforehand. He's just gotten really. This is the ten thousand wow. hours rule now. Wow! David has had ten thousand hours of guessing strain pun headlines. I can't believe that happened. Yeah. Well, he is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic by Erica Cervantes. We got a fun interview going up tomorrow here at the press box david Ooh, what is it went down to a city that's meaningful to you that you spent a lot of time in charlotte north carolina oh yeah and i went over to the espn studios over there and interviewed a sports radio host paul feinbaum speaking of college football speaking of someone who's benefiting from the rise of the S- the, con- the constant rise of the SEC. Oh my gosh. He he did two days of realignment before he went on vacation. And a longtime listener to this fine bomb show, you could just tell he was savoring every minute of it. I mean, this is the slow time of year if you're hosting a college football themed radio show. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have USC going to the Big Ten. Paul Feinbaum, we talked about his uh, days in print journalism, the early days of his radio show in Birmingham, and then all the way through ESPN, NIL, Realignment. That's coming tomorrow. And then David and I are back Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian.